0: Usually familiar, with John chapter three, because this is where we find the story of Nicodemus, a very um, an encounter that we're very familiar with, and Jesus' words in John three sixteen. And uh, but we come to the end of the chapter, probably not a pl- passage that you look at very often. But here, beginning in verse twenty two, I would like us to hear God's holy word. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim because water was plentiful there and people were coming and being baptized for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness. Look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So ends the reading of God's holy word. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank and praise You for Your word, because we know, Father, that it is life, it is light, it is salvation. We pray therefore, Father, that Your Spirit, which inspired this Your word, would cause Your word to pierce all unbelief in our hearts all misunderstanding in our minds. And that by Your grace, You would build us up in the faith and knowledge of Jesus Christ. We pray that Jesus would be glorified as You apply Your Word to our hearts and minds. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Everything we have comes from something before it. The iPhone 10 leads to the iPhone 11. I don't even know if there was a 12. The iPhone 11 leads to the 13. That leads to the 14. And eventually, later this year, it's supposed to be lead to the iPhone 15. I think September they're saying. When we think of new things, we think in a linear way. We think along a line. Even when a new thing comes from the combination of several other things before it, This is why we compare the new thing to what came before. Oh, I think this is better. No, you know, I like this feature on the old one. We compare the new to the old. When we read our Bibles, we look at things in much the same way. The things in Genesis led to the events in Exodus. And those lead to Leviticus and Numbers, even though some of the things that are recorded in Leviticus clearly were applied in the last chapters of Exodus. But nevertheless, we think in a line. And Moses is followed by the judges. And then the kings. And then the prophets. And finally, the coming of Jesus. Gospel writers like Matthew emphasize this not only when they show us the, um, the ancestors of Jesus that lead up to him, but they also he also emphasizes it in things like telling us the Old Testament passage that, that something that Jesus did fulfilled. In other words, this was done in fulfillment of what the prophet said in such and so a passage. And likewise, when we look at the rest of the New Testament... We see references not just back to the Old Testament. Paul, for instance, reflecting on Abraham and Sarah and Hagar. But we find quotes and references back to the words of Jesus. Like in the letter of James. Where it's clear that he is referring back to things that Jesus himself had said during his earthly ministry. Because of this linear way of thinking. We can make the mistake of only seeing Jesus as part of the line. In fact, after Jesus' ascension, this was a problem in the early church. Those who favored only seeing Jesus as part of the line objected to the changes that were being made by the apostles. They looked at the things like not requiring circumcision, not requiring someone to convert to Judaism before they became a Christian not the failure to insist the gentiles obey things like the dietary laws in Moses they say they saw all of these things things which became a matter of controversy in the first decades of the church as being a failure to see Jesus as simply part of a line of continuity they saw that what the apostles were doing as innovative innovative The influence of this way of thinking has continued. Messianic Judaism, Seventh-day Adventists are only examples. They make us think that there are things that God said before Jesus and then there are the things that Jesus said and that Jesus' teaching is only an addition to Moses and the prophets. However, that is not what we find being emphasized by the New Testament writers. The Gospel of John in particular makes it clear that while all things in the Old Testament led to the coming of Jesus, that it is also true that everything in the Old Testament began with Jesus. Many have compared the revelation of God to a flower, it begins as a bud, no, the red buds are coming out on the trees in in Missouri. I was just in Tennessee last week, and they're already out. So I have I've seen what you're about to see. Okay, all of God's message is there from the beginning, like the bud of a flower. So any of you are doing you know when you go out and pick one of those buds, and you want to carefully slice it open. What do you find in the inside? You find the pistil and the stamen inside the flower, don't you? Hidden by the bud. Everything is there from its very beginning. And people have compared the Word of God to that bud. We don't see the things inside clearly, but they're there. As God's revelation moves from Adam to Noah to Abraham to Moses... To David and the prophets, it's like the opening of the bud of the flower to see and reveal more and more about the God who saves his people. The flower unfolds and we see more and more of its beauty in the inside of the petals, in the pistil and the stamen. With Jesus in the New Testament revelation, the flower has opened to all of its fullness to reveal the full glory of God that was there from the beginning. And looking from the center of the flower to its outer petals, we see that every petal from the outside to the inside was necessary to reveal the full beauty of the flower. Take away the petals and what do you have? Just the pistol and stamen. And how pretty is that? By itself, without the petals. Think of that. The Gospel of John in particular shows us that everything begins with and focuses on Jesus, the eternal Word of God. That's how He starts. In the beginning was the Word. That's where He starts. While the other gospel writers also go to great lengths to emphasize the fact that everything in the Old Testament points to and leads us to Jesus, John in this gospel emphasizes this more clearly by showing that it also all starts with Jesus. It begins with Him. He begins chapter 1 by telling us that the Word was with God in the beginning because the Word is God. Chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. He tells us that all things were made through Him. That all life comes from Him. Chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. He tells us that the Word is the giver of light. Verse, chapter 1, verse 9. He tells us that the Word became flesh and lived among us. The same Word, therefore that became flesh, is the same Word that created all things and gave life to all things. It all started with Him. The Baptist, John the Baptist, prepared for Jesus' coming, but Jesus is so much greater than the Baptist, that the Baptist says that He is unworthy to untie Jesus' sandals. Chapter 1, verse 27. And in a very profound declaration, John the Baptist tells us that he didn't even know who Jesus was until God gave him a revelation. Chapter 1, verses 32 through 33. He says, I didn't know who he was until the Spirit told me that the one upon whom you see the Spirit descend is the one. So who is it? That told John that this is Jesus. In essence, it's Jesus. It was the Word of God that revealed it to John that this is the Word of God. This is a different way of looking at the flower. Jesus is the Word. He made the flower, He gave the flower life, He shined His light on the flower. To cause it to grow. He is the one who gave the revelation that opened each petal. Everything in God's word starts with Jesus and everything in God's word focuses on Jesus. Jesus' teaching didn't come from John the Baptist. It didn't come from anyone who was before him. John's teaching came from Jesus. The prophet's teaching came from Jesus. Moses' teaching came from Jesus. Jesus. Moses came from the Word. It came from the Son of God, Jesus. And now the Son of God has come from heaven. And all that leads to eternal life depends on believing that Jesus is the Son of God. The maker of the creation. The giver of life and light. In these last verses of John chapter 3, I would like us to see two things. John and Jesus. This gospel was probably written later than the other three and that may be why its perspective is different. By this time, John has seen how the Gospels, be, the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke are being treated. And so, he tells us things that we don't find elsewhere. It is a Gospel. It does share things that are found in the other three Gospels. But there are things in Matthew, Mark, and Luke that are not in John. And there are things in John that are not in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. It isn't just the opening 18 verses of John chapter 1 that are different. There are a lot of different things, including these last couple of chapters of John. John 2 and 3, up through near the, the end of chapter 4. For example, Matthew and Luke tell us something of Jesus' birth, and Luke tells us of Jesus' youth. Matthew and Luke are then joined by Mark to tell us about, John's, about Jesus' baptism, and the temptation in the wilderness. The other three Gospels then move straight from the temptation to Jesus' ministry up in Galilee and Capernaum. Okay? They move straight from Jesus coming out of the wilderness, straight up to Galilee and Capernaum. John tells us what happened in between. In between the temptations in the wilderness and the beginning of the public ministry up in Galilee. He doesn't get to the public ministry in Galilee till near the close of chapter 4. John begins before the creation. He does tell us about John the Baptist preparing the way for Jesus, but he doesn't tell us about Jesus' early life. He doesn't tell us about Jesus' baptism. He doesn't tell us about the temptations in the wilderness. John picks up at the time skipped by the other Gospels. He begins with the time after the temptation in the wilderness when Jesus returns to the place where John's baptizing. He tells us about the challenges that are taking place to John's authority and John's declaration. Upon John seeing Jesus, John declares, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world! Something that has no foundation in all of Old Testament revelation. Those words are a unique revelation from God. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin, singular, of the world. John tells us about Jesus' meeting of the first disciples. Who later, in Galilee, he's going to call to be apostles. But he meets some of them first, down here, where John's baptizing. He tells us that those disciples call Jesus. Look at John. When you go home, read John chapter 1, verses 19 through 51. Do you know what they say about Jesus in those chapters, in those passages? Not only does John call him the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the disciples declare that he is the Son of God. The disciples declare that he is the King. Namely, they're talking about the eternal King that was promised through Nathan the prophet to David. You are the King of Israel. Nathanael says to him. They call him the Christ. They are declaring things about Jesus that the church will continue to believe. That you believe and confess 2,000 years later. And when are they saying those things about Jesus? Before his first miracle, which was turning water into wine in Cana of Galilee. So before his first miracle, before they have seen him do any miraculous thing, they are already declaring about him and confessing to be true those things which you continue to believe about Jesus right to this day. How is that possible? Because the Holy Spirit had raised them from the dead. And they had listened to John the Baptist. And so on the basis of the revelation which they have heard, they have believed. On the basis of their knowledge of Moses, they have believed. On the basis of what they know the prophets have declared, they confess. You are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. You are the Christ. Then John tells us about the first miracle. He tells us about Jesus visiting his family. He he tells us about Jesus going up to Jerusalem and cleansing the temple of its buyers and sellers. A very separate event from what is going to take place at the end of his public ministry. And beginning with John chapter 3 verses 1 through 21, John tells us about Jesus meeting with Nicodemus. And then we get to this passage followed by the woman at the well in chapter, the beginning of chapter 4. And it isn't up until the last part of John chapter 4 that Jesus' ministry in Galilee in this gospel comes together with the beginning of His ministry as found and described in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. From a spiritual perspective, this gospel answers the objections of those thing, people, of those people Who are accusing the apostles of being innovative? That's what part of its purpose is. It's not Jesus who said, it's not the apostles who said that things have to change, it's Jesus who said things had to change. It was Jesus who made it clear that faith is more important than the observation of the Mosaic Law. It was Jesus who first called the Gentiles to believe without making them first become Jews, the Samaritan woman. From a literary perspective, the passage before us rounds out the relationship between John the Baptist and Jesus. This section begins in chapter 1, verse 19, with John the Baptist leading up to his declaring, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, to now this closing part where Jesus and John are baptizing in the same area. This section began with some of John's disciples leaving John to follow Jesus, but it ends with some of John's disciples not making that move. John understands what those disciples do not. His purpose, John's purpose, was to prepare Israel for the coming of the Lord. And now that the Lord has come, John's work is concluding. Here we are reminded that we only have what God gives to us. Most of all, most important of all, God has given us himself in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. John verses 22 through 30. After attending the Passover feast in Jerusalem and talking to Nicodemus, we read that Jesus went out to the Judean countryside around Jerusalem. His disciples were with him. We are told that he was baptizing Now, in John chapter 4, verse 2, it's going to clarify this point. That it wasn't actually Jesus performing the baptisms. It was his disciples who were performing the baptisms on his behalf. But here we're simply told Jesus is baptizing. For the Roman Catholic Church, it is very important to say that Jesus' baptism here is a Roman Catholic baptism. In fact, some of their key doctrines hang on that claim that is highly unlikely if jesus had been had his disciples baptizing in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit i assure you he would have been arrested right there and then So it's highly unlikely that this is Christian baptism. This is almost certainly the same baptism as the baptism of John. A baptism for the cleansing of sin. Like the Old Testament washing in the bronze laver done by the priest to enter the temple. Or the washing done by someone after ceremonial uncleanness. Or the washing that was commanded of all Israel in Exodus chapter 19. Prior to them hearing the voice of God in Exodus chapter 20. This baptism pointed to the removal of sin and making a person able to enter the presence of God. We're told that not far away, John was also baptizing. As I mentioned earlier, this is from a time in Jesus' ministry before His teaching in the synagogues of Galilee that Matthew, Mark, and Luke describe early in their Gospels. It's important to know that because it shows us that in the bigger picture of things, The Christian baptism that Jesus is going to command of his disciples in Matthew chapter 28 doesn't depend on John's baptism. You see, for for the people who want to follow John the Baptist, for the people who want to claim this linear line from the Old Testament into the New, it's very important for them to say that Jesus is introducing a sacrament that is absolutely based on what had come before it. But this passage shows us that that's not true. The baptism instituted by Jesus grows out of the whole teaching, not just about the cleansing of sin in the Old Testament, but also on the promise of new life and the gift of the Holy Spirit promised by God in the law and the prophets. Even the debate that John's disciples and a Jew got into over purification shows us this. You look to yourself and you say, Okay, so John's disciples get into a debate with a guy over purification and then John's disciples come to John and say, Hey, that guy that you pointed us to on the other side of the Jordan, he's now baptizing and more people are going to him than us. And you wonder, "What's, what's the connection between purification? Well, the point is this. There is no connection. The disciples of John had no problem in handling questions of purification. What John is doing was what was, pro- what was commanded in the Old Testament, a preparation for entering the assembly of God, a preparation for meeting with God. You had to be washed before entering the presence of God. And what did that outward washing point to? but the inward cleansing from sin that is necessarily done by the Holy Spirit of God inside of a person. You cannot, nothing unholy can enter the presence of God. Nothing unholy. So there has to be cleansing. And so the ritual washings in the Old Testament pointed forward to what God's people needed God Himself to do in their hearts. To cleanse them from their sins. So that they could be and stand in the presence of God. The disciples of John had no problem with that. What they had a problem with is what is happening with Jesus and his baptizing of people. The disciples of John, as I said, could handle a simple question about purification. Their problem is understanding why is Jesus now attracting more people than John? Perhaps their question is this. If Jesus is the one for whom John was preparing, and Jesus is here, which they don't seem to deny at all, why is Jesus doing John's work? Why is he doing John's work? Considering the previous interaction between Jesus and Nicodemus, if we were to look at the previous verses, we should see that John's disciples do acknowledge The significance of what the baptizer said about Jesus. John's disciples do believe John's word about Jesus. But they do not seem to understand the implications of that significance for themselves. Otherwise, they too would have left John to follow Jesus. John's understanding and faith here is absolutely fantastic. I mean, there's there's hardly anything like this. He has faithfully done what God sent him to do, and he understands that his success never, ever, ever depended on him, but it only rested on God. So he reminds his disciples as he told them from the beginning, and as he told the Pharisees who challenged his authority in chapter one, verse twenty, that he is not the Christ. He always understood his purpose. It was to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. Is he going to have some struggles as we read in the Gospel of Matthew a little later on when he's in prison? Yes. But not here. There is no struggle here. In Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, God's people are called God's bride. And in many other Old Testament passages from Moses, especially up through Hosea, God's people are compared to a wife. Drawing on that imagery... John, compares, John the Baptist compares his relationship to Jesus to the relationship between a bridegroom and the best man. The bride, that is God's people, don't belong to John. They have always belonged to Jesus. John helped to get the bride ready for the groom, but now he is glad that the groom has arrived so that he can step away and let the groom take over. Far from being upset at Jesus' popularity... John is rejoicing because this is why he came into the world. This is why he's been baptizing. This is why he's been preaching. This was his purpose. This is one of the greatest and most humble things in Scripture that anybody has ever said. He must increase, and I must decrease. What a difference between this desire of John the Baptist and the later desire of Jesus' disciples who right up until the night before his arrest are still arguing over which of them is the greatest and which of them can have a seat on his right and his left when he comes into his kingdom. John has no such aspiration. John always knew that his ministry was never about himself, but always about the one for whom he he had come to prepare. His ministry was about Jesus. It was all about Jesus. It's never about us. It's only about Jesus. John's words are both a lesson for Christian ministers and Christians, every believer. We aren't in this world or in the church for our advancement. We've been given gifts and abilities by Christ. They're from Christ to serve Christ. They're not ours. We've been given gifts and abilities to serve Christ and His church. We are given opportunities, not in order to make us more important, or so that others will note or notice how great we are, but so that others will look to Jesus and see how great He is. Why do we pray that we would be more and more like Christ? Why do we pray that others would see Christ in us? Because we want them to see Him not us we want others to hear christ from us we want others to see christ in us we want to be less and less like our sinful selfish self-seeking selves and be more and more like jesus so that others will look to him and not to us jesus verses 31 through 36 It's difficult to determine who's speaking in verses 31 through 36, but the text gives us no indication that it isn't John. So we should consider these words to be a continuation of the words of John the Baptist. If it is John, it is very, very significant because I want you to see how clear he is. Again, how clear he is. John understood that he was from the earth and that Jesus is from heaven. He understood that Jesus was from heaven when he called Jesus the Lamb of God in chapter 1, verse 29, and chapter 1, verse 36. He understood that Jesus was from heaven when he called Jesus the Son of God, as he does here a couple of times, and as he did back in chapter 1, verse 34, when he saw him at the Jordan. He understood it, and he believed that Jesus is from heaven, and nothing about Jesus' work has brought him any doubt. And as I said earlier, I know that he's going to doubt later on. But that's not here and now. He says that Jesus has come from heaven and that Jesus bears witness to what Jesus... and that Jesus himself bears witness to what Jesus has seen and heard. I'm supplying the name of Jesus because the indefinite pronouns are going to make it confusing if I keep saying he. Okay? So that's why I'm saying it a little awkwardly, but we really need to be clear. He's saying that Jesus himself has testified to these things that he's from heaven because Jesus himself has come from heaven and that Jesus himself has revealed the things about heaven. It's no surprise to John that no one has received Jesus testimony. And here these words echo not only John chapter 1 verse 11 he came to his own and in his own received him not. But they can they also echo Jesus own words to Nicodemus. In chapter 3, verse 19. John believes because he knows that God's word is true. His faith rests on that. In John chapter 1, verses 31 through 33, John said that he did not know who Jesus was, apart from a revelation from God that told him that the one upon whom he saw the Spirit descend is the one. Here John says, Knowing that Jesus is the Son of God, and that this proves the proof, that proves the truth of God's promises. It says that Jesus is the one who gives the Spirit without measure. Here we are reminded that it was John who also said back in chapter one, verse thirty three, that I come baptizing with water, but the one who comes after me will be will baptize with the Spirit and with fire. And finally, in verses 33 through 36 of this chapter, John's words about the love of the Father for the Son and the giving of all things into the Son's hands brings our attention to focus, to be riveted on Jesus through whom all things were created, who is the source of all life and light and to whom we owe all our faith and our obedience or else we are lost. Jesus is the Son of God. Those who believe in Him will receive eternal life and their lives will be changed to obey Him. Those who do not believe also do not obey God's commands for the right reasons. Therefore, no matter how good their lives appear outwardly, they are condemned already. They will not see life. John is echoing the exact same words that Jesus said to Nicodemus. Far from Jesus only being the source of a revival for the Jewish religion, John points our faith and reliance completely to Jesus. Far from being other, being other great, te- far from there being other great teachers that we should follow, John points us. To Jesus. Jesus is the Son of God to whom John looks in faith. Jesus is the Son of God whom John follows. Jesus is the Son of God who will save John from the wrath of God and give him eternal life. John and the disciples believed what you and I must believe if we also would be saved from the wrath of God and receive eternal life. They believed that Jesus is the Son of God, the Christ. The eternal king, the bridegroom of his people. They believe that Jesus is the source and the giver of life. They believe that he is the beginning of all things and they believe that he is the goal of all things. Failure to believe and trust in him alone for your salvation means that you are condemned already. It's not like you're in a neutral place, there is no neutrality. You either believe or don't. And if you don't, you're condemned already. It means that you will face the wrath of God. Faith and trust that Jesus has lived the righteous life that God demands for you and died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins means that you have been given eternal life. God keeps His word. He keeps his word to show you how much he has loved you by the sending of his own son to live the righteous life for you that he demands and by dying on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins. He will keep his word by saving you and giving you eternal life. Living in Christ's service isn't about making you important or about what you get. Everything begins with and comes from Jesus and the goal of all things is His glory. He is the one who will, all, who will bring all things to their completeness, to the glory of God. Believe and trust in Jesus Christ, the only God and Savior, to have given Himself for you and He will give Himself to you. Believe and trust in Jesus and you will have the Son of God and eternal life with Him. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank and praise You for Your Word. For indeed, as we confessed in our opening prayer, it is the Word of life and salvation and light. It reveals the only God and Savior from its beginning to its end. It reveals the only hope for salvation from the consequences of our sin and unbelief from its beginning to its end because it reveals Jesus. Dear Father, we pray that you would raise the dead. That not only would we be those who would seek outward cleansing like those who came to John and even to Jesus' disciples, but we would be those who would fall on our faces to seek that inward cleansing from sin that comes only by the work of the Holy Spirit applying to us the finished work of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank You for Jesus. We wouldn't even be able to breathe without Him. We would pray, Father, that by Your grace, You would make us a humble people who would realize that it's not about us, not about our pleasure, not about peace and safety in our lives, not about, not about wealth, not about security, not about safety. In this world, But only about that peace that comes from Jesus Christ, only about that security that comes from Jesus Christ, only about that eternal life. Forever lived to the glory of God in fellowship with you. That's all that matters. Therefore, Father, we pray that though while you give some only a few a little time on this earth and others many more years. We pray that for each of us, each day, each hour, each minute, would by Your grace, be spent in humble devotion to You, seeking that we would be decreased by You, and that You would be increased in our lives. So that others would hear Jesus from us. Others would see Jesus in us. Others would look to Him. And live. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.